Uh, we had to buy suits. I felt like we were paying for a wedding just buying, you know, I, you get it, right? I don't have to beat that horse too dead. I remember uh, one of those nights we finished up uh, the wedding that night and our six got in the van and we were starving because we had kind of been running around like family do, kind of helping out and making things happen and realized, you know, we didn't really get that much dinner. And so my kids go on their phones and find that Chick-fil-A is open really late. And like, I'm a little bit of a hot take here, but Chick-fil-A is trash. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Appreciate it. There's one Christian in the house. Uh, a dry, cold fried chicken sandwich is trash, all right? Uh, give me Popeyes or Canes any day of the week. It's better. But anyway, so in the, in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, we went at midnight, and I don't think I will ever forget the scene of the six of us crammed in one little hotel room eating Chick-fil-A at one in the morning. I mean, it was a special, really, really special moment. And we just had a, a tremendous weekend of laughter, of joy, of celebration, and just opening up space for family and for togetherness. Um, but Sunday night came, and the celebrations had ceased, and everyone departed. Uh, our, our streeter clan, the, we call ourselves the Sacramento Streeters, got in the van, and we drove, and it was Sunday night, and we went straight to the airport from the party and dropped Ryan off, who had to catch a late evening flight to get back to school for Monday morning class, I had a flight that same night in the other terminal, and I had to fly all night to get to an 8 a.m. meeting in Cincinnati, and it was back to life, right? You know it. You've done it. You've been there, seen it, all of that. Back to reality, back to normal life. And in recent months, I have had conversations with a number of you, maybe even a dozen of you, one-on-one, relating some sort of really significant family event that has happened over the last couple of years. And in the course of talking about that celebration, shockingly, 12 or more times over in the last several months, I have found myself with you reliving the joys of COVID, of all things. Like, either we have a really terrible memory of the pain of that time and the the nastiness that went back and forth on Facebook and that you're going to hell because you wear a mask or you're going to hell because you don't wear a mask and everybody was right, right? All that stuff. Either our memory is really bad or our lives have spun back so far out of control that even that time of family lockdown seems like a gift, Right? Remember those six or eight weeks or for some of you six minutes of locking down in your house and just saying, hey, it's just going to be family time. It's just going to be us three or us six or us nine, whatever your number is. And just the slowdown, no more evening meetings, no racing off to the office, no more doing this, no more doing that. Job sites, quiet. It was just a time of relax. And, and even with all the pain of COVID and, and all the illness and the division and the difficulty, all sentimentality aside, we have found ourselves back to an unsustainable workload. Even in my own day job that I work right alongside you 40 hours a week, I remember saying during COVID, I'll never go back to X. And yet here we are, right back to X. Now maybe some of you have, have managed to not get right back to that kind of pace. But as I'm finding, and as I meet with you, and as I search my own heart, 
boy, it seems right back there. The pressure to create the perfect life, the pressure to never miss any event, to never mark your kid out for that thing, to never say no to anything that is important. And we go to the scriptures and we say, how do I get my family life back under control? How do I actually thrive at home in a way that would not only honor the ways of Jesus, but also give my family a little bit of breath and rest? I mean, those two things can't be crossing in the night, right? The way of Christ in our midst must support the way of a faithful and thriving family. And yet at first glance, when we go to the scriptures to look at family values or, or godly family, like there's some really dysfunctional family in scripture. There's some really weird stuff going on there that you go, okay, great. So, all right, Noah, you know, family time, they were in quarantine. They did quarantine. Let's see how my fa- Oh, boy, the end of that story got weird. Um, right? We don't put that one on the felt board in class over there. Isaac? Jacob, these are some stories. It's like, okay, how not to live life as a family. But let let me prepare us that the life-giving truth of Christ and the story of God with his people Israel actually does provide for us a beautiful roadmap on how to thrive at home. Uh, Turn with me, of all places, to Deuteronomy 16. And that's where we pick up the text this morning in Scripture. As you turn there, maybe you're going to grab the QR code behind me. If you grab the QR code, it'll give you the digital program right there in your phone, and it'll give you all the announcements and all the Scripture text and even a couple links for some helpful stuff that you might find interesting. Otherwise, there are Bibles in the racks and on the table, and probably find some way. Deuteronomy 16. I'm going to begin in verse 9. There we go. And this is uh, God's voice to his people Israel. He says, count off seven weeks from when you first begin to cut the grain at the time of harvest. Then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from him. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship. He will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns, not just town, but towns, and the foreigners, orphans, and widows who live among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. So be careful to obey all of these decrees. Let me pray. Jesus, we recognize that these holy words in Scripture end up pretty empty without the cross that sits just behind us on stage and without the stone that rolled away on the third day. May the power of resurrection life pour over us 
as we look into how to thrive at home. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. These opening verses of Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 12 find us kind of smack dab in the middle of God's instructions for Israel on these three key festivals throughout the year that Israel were to celebrate. This particular one, Shavat, as it is known by Israelites, maybe your Bible's heading there says something like festival of harvest or even the Feast of Weeks, some variation on that. All of those are synonymous and one in the same for this particular festival we look at today. And it's an anticipatory day of celebration for the reader. So the original reader would have read this and would know this, that from the day they cut the first of the wheat during harvest, that marks the clock. And I don't think they probably had you know, a paper calendar on the wall, like maybe some of you do, or a a whiteboard calendar, or just your digital calendar. But in some sense or another, that marked the day. And when they cut that first grain of wheat at harvest, they begin the clock, and they count seven weeks to the day. And on that day, no matter where they are in the process of harvest, that seven-week mark, they pause for a day of celebration. I bet you have done this in your own family life. And as we enter into the holiday season here pretty quick, obviously the examples are kind of teed up for us. But I suspect that there are times in your family life when you look at your calendar and you go, oh my goodness, the next seven weeks are going to be crazy. Or pick your number of weeks. The number is arbitrary. The next several weeks are crazy. But we're getting to that day, whatever that day will be, whether it's a wedding or whether it's a day off or a trip you have planned or Thanksgiving or Christmas. But that day is coming and then we'll celebrate. Then we're going to rest. Then we're going to take a break for a day. And at the risk of insulting anyone's intelligence, let me just kind of catch us up at least with a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of what the original reader and listener would have heard here. This is written to an agricultural society. Everybody who would have heard these words knew agricultural language and was growing their own crops. And so these rhythms were very well known to everybody. And it's important to note too, that not only are these rhythms known to your own family unit and the grain you were growing in your family, you also knew your neighbor's rhythm because you knew the day when the neighbor cut their first wheat too. Now, I don't come from a farming background, uh, but I get to travel around enough doing my work with the NAB that I get to go to a lot of farming territories and see. And I'm telling you, especially in this day and age with these huge crop haulers that they have, there is no mistaking the first day of harvest. And there wouldn't have been any mistaking it then either. There's a public nature to all of this that God has built in for his people. That from the day you begin to harvest, the clock begins. They till the soil all at the same time. I till my soil this day, and the neighbor's probably tilling their soil. And if not, maybe we're sharing oxen, so we're going to till mine this day. And then I'm going to bring my oxen to you, and you're going to till your soil that day. And, but all of this is done in a very communal way in that time. 
And while to us in this kind of tech-savvy West Coast lifestyle where we have all of our worlds neatly contained so we need nobody, I mean, just by show of hands, when was the last time any of you went next door to get a cup of milk or a cup of sugar, right? You've done it, okay. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, remember one of your parents doing it when you were a kid? Okay, more hands, all right. Uh, you, you get the idea. Like, they're even in the last 30 years, we have seen this shift. I mean, I remember that in my neighborhood, and I grew up fairly on the poorer side of white trash. Um, and so, like, not everybody on my street had a weed eater and a lawnmower. And so one neighbor would buy the weed eater and another neighbor had a lawnmower and you just shared that stuff, even in my growing up days. And you would mow your yard and after you mowed your yard on Saturday, the neighbor would come out, hey, I heard you mowing. And he would walk out with his weed eater, hey, you need a weed eat? And you'd take the weed eater and give him the mower. And that was very common in the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, some of you were going, you had a neighborhood? You were lucky. You know, I get it. So when God writes in verses 9 and 10, count off seven weeks from when you first begin to cut grain. Then celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God and bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessing your neighbor and your family and your children knew everything. They knew the day when the celebration is going to happen. They knew an offering was to be given. And quite frankly, they knew roughly what the offering was to be. Now, just for all of you bearing down, oh, great, he's going to ask me for money. That's not the point here. That's that's not where I'm going with this. The, The point is the society was communal and agricultural. Everybody knew what was going on. And there's no arguing or debating the when this was for anyone. After all, you know, it's likely that seven weeks probably hit within a day or two for everyone. There's no no debating what they were to do. But there's a, a strange secondary thing going on here about the who that ought not be missed. This is a family affair. This is done in family. The text reads in verse 11, right? Celebrate with your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns. These would have been the pastors or religious leaders of the town, for those not familiar with a Levite. And the foreigners, these would be immigrants. These would be people there illegally. Orphans and widows who live among you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Remember, you are not better than anybody. And it's this picture that everybody gets a seat at the table. That that once a year, from seven weeks on, everybody gets a seat at the table. Everybody is going to gather together. And this key of, remember, you were once slaves. And obviously there are layers to this. 
that God's instructing. And there's probably too many layers to peel back. But let me start by asking a few questions here before I make a few points. And the first is, if you were to apply this, and I think we have a couple celebrations coming up on our calendar that would probably pretty closely apply. If we were to apply this and demonstrate this kind of living in our own homes, how would this kind of a celebration challenge your privacy, your individuality, your wealth? How would this challenge your own treatment of the people who work for you or who you work for? If you knew (laughs) that there was a day coming every year where everybody in your neighborhood was welcome at your table, where everybody who works for you would have an invite to your home, where all your family would be. I'll tell you what, the wedding that I was at a couple of weeks ago, there were some family that for me, whom it was very clear they had never counted the cost of a wedding they would have to be at together someday later when they broke relationship 20 years prior. And it was awkward for everyone. And it didn't matter how much social lubrication there was. There was a dance all weekend long to keep that person separated from that person and that person separated from that person. Now, the good news is I'm the uncle, so they didn't have to worry about the drunk uncle. So that was good. We had that one knocked out. But, but you begin to realize when this becomes the rhythm of our life, it will have a long-lasting effect on when we yell at the neighbor and when we fire up the Harley and when we cut the grass and how we feud with the mean old lady across the street if I know she's going to be invited to my house for Thanksgiving dinner. You, you see how this changes everything? You see how this begins to invite us in in a very subtle way to thrive at home in a way that's very seen to our children and to our friends and to the widows and to the orphans and to the immigrants. It would be really difficult to pay your staff poorly, entrepreneurs, if you knew they were coming to your house for Thanksgiving. It would be very difficult as a ministry leader or a pastor or a life group leader or an elder to neglect anybody in this church throughout the year if we knew that everybody was invited to our home on Thanksgiving. And finally, just maybe a statement of emphasis before I completely beat the horse dead. Your table, according to the scriptures, is to be full of immigrants, is to be full of illegals, is to be full of widows, is to be full of orphans, and is to be full of the people who work for you, who may be the ones you want to spend Thanksgiving with the least. (laughs) This, This is what God says when he says we are to thrive at home. The doors fling open. And so we would be wise to ask ourselves, some good questions. Uh, Now let me make a couple of points before you throw rocks at me. Uh, One is this, a thriving family has a big table with a diverse crowd who celebrate all together. A thriving family has a big table with a very diverse crowd. 
And, and listen, let, let me affirm in you, disciples, in those 12 plus conversations I've had in recent weeks, I hear this stuff bubbling up all the time. Hey, our neighbor, this neighbor, and then that neighbor, and then that neighbor over there, and oh, we just had a barbecue in the, in the uh, cul-de-sac, or hey, that neighbor came over, or I just walked down the street to the widow down the street and spoke with her. Church, you're doing this stuff. So this is not intended to be some sort of gavel over our heads, but more a continue in the way that you are going. Many of you have just moved into new neighborhoods and homes, and some of you are about to, whose homes have just sold and moving to a new one. Provide you a new reset to begin to build these sorts of relationships and friendships. But a thriving family is one that is full of diverse people around the table. And if I can say it maybe a bit more provocatively, if we think our family is thriving by locking the doors and having it only be the three of us or the six of us or the eight of us every night of the week because we can't stand more outside influence. Our family is not thriving. That's not a thriving family. That's isolation. And it's hurting you. And it's hurting your family. If you're single, if you're widowed, hiding out is not helping. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, Look with me now at some later verses. Uh, Verse 13, we're going to go to the next festival along the way in verse 13. You must observe the festival of shelters for seven days. This one's different. The first one was one day. This one is now seven. For seven days, at the end of the harvest season, after the grain has been threshed and the grapes have been pressed, this festival will be a happy time of celebrating. A happy time of celebrating with your sons and your daughters. Catch the, um, the mirrored language here. With your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, foreigners, orphans, widows from your towns. For seven days, it says again, don't miss. This is a seven-day long celebration. For seven days, you must celebrate. It's kind of like weird language a little bit, right? But I mean, you, you feel the, the, the tension in that, like seven days of partying. You will do, and I don't mean like evil, sinful, debauchery partying. I mean celebration for seven days, the scriptures tell them. And it's all in verse 15. It is all to honor the Lord your God at the place he chooses for it is he who blesses you with bountiful harvests. It is he who blesses you, in the Stu Revised Version, with paychecks, with dividends, with health, with medical care, with the things that a lot of people and a lot of other places do not have. I know you work hard, people. I know you studied hard. You were born on third base, as was I. We are highly privileged people. And for that privilege, we, not, we ought not beat ourselves over the head for it, but we ought celebrate God's goodness and say God has been so good to us. Why has he been so good to us and not likewise good in the same ways to our friends in Guatemala? Well, he has been good to them in different ways. And I'm telling you, friends, and all of you who've been to Guatemala with us know, we go to Guatemala and they feel bad for us. 
They say, oh, I'm just so sad. God hasn't been good to you the way he's been good to us. You have so much stuff and your life is so full. How sad, how are you? They do, and they're not, they're not picking on us and they're not poking fun at us, but they're like, you, you have it so hard there. We go, oh, wait, but we have healthcare and we get paid every two weeks. Oh, yeah, gosh, that's tough. What individuality that's breeding in you. That's killing your soul. You know that, right? We go, okay, Tita, all right, that's enough, all right? All right, chill, right? This festival, it closes in verse 15. This festival will be a time of great joy for all. Again, we see central in the instructions here, right? What God wants them to do, the what, and we we see the who. I think we've covered that fairly well. And as he laid out in the prior feast, this too is a time of great celebration and all will be invited to the table. It is a time of great joy for all. We just look back through some of these verses and a quick highlight, verse 11. It says, celebrate before the Lord. It goes on to say, celebrate with family. And it goes on that big long list, right? Of basically everybody who lives in proximity to you. Verse 14, it's a happy time of celebrating. Verse 15, celebrate to honor the Lord. For for it is he who blesses. This is to be a great time of joy. A thriving family's got a big table with a diverse crowd who celebrate all together. A thriving family also commits to regular and extended celebrations of God's blessing. This one may be the harder one for us. But a thriving family commits to regular and extended celebrations of God's blessing. I don't want to prescribe for you what that will look like, but I may offer a few suggestions. Before I get there, uh, in 2014, which like seems like a lifetime ago now, right? Like that was 30 years ago. Uh, oh, those poor people in 2014, they don't know what we know now, right? Uh, but in 2014, a survey was done by Gallup, and uh, they found the top three happiest days of the year for Americans. Anybody want to take a stab at one of those three days? Uh, sorry? Thanksgiving, I heard. Thanksgiving is number one. You're right. Uh, and two other Memorial Day was up there, but it didn't make top three. Anybody else? Christmas Christmas was number three. Fourth of July July is number two. Fire, man. (laughs) Two out of three. Put this man on my pub trivia team immediately. (laughs) I was going to say Trivial Pursuit, but I was like, who am I kidding? You all know I don't play Trivial Pursuit. (laughs) Pub trivia is more my jam. Uh, Yeah, top three days. Thanksgiving Day, uh, 4th of July, Independence Day, and uh, Christmas. Do you want to know what the least happiest day of the year is for Americans? This will blow your mind. You you won't probably guess it. Sorry? No. Basically every Tuesday. I'm not kidding. I'm not even kidding. It was like... The, the percentage, and, and for those who are interested in your digital program, I actually gave you the study for you study nerds out there. Um, you may enjoy this. But um, it was basically every single Tuesday rated the same. It was like 41% happiness um, uh, every Tuesday. It's just like the worst day of the week. And then I started thinking, like, at work, the team that I lead, we do our, our team sync huddle over Zoom on Tuesday. I'm like, 
man, I should change that, you know, um, must be the, the worst, yeah, the worst, right, exactly, our, our leadership team meetings are Tuesday night, all of that is changing from now on, right, anyway, happiest and least happy days of the year, uh, there just uh, remains uh, far too much for each of us to get done in any given week, and we know it, and there's plenty of stress and pain to go around, And this is why, for so many reasons, a thriving family begins with some healthy rhythms that are rooted in a celebration of all God has done. A a remembering. If I had more time, we'd go back to the text and look at how many times in some of the other translations God says of those festivals, remember, remember, remember all that God has done. What would it look like for us at Thanksgiving or another holiday to go around the table and say, I want everybody around the table to remember three things God did in your life this year? Geez, do you sound so old. It's in the book, guys. To remember what God has done. Remember how sick mom was on that day. Remember how stressful spring was for dad. Remember how hard this particular holiday is because it's a day that we remember loss. Remember how God was good. Remember how money got tight and yet God saw us through. Remember, remember, remember. What if your Thanksgiving or your Christmas or whatever day it might be for you this year was deliberately a huge table for your entire neighborhood where you invited everybody and you focused the meal on celebrating how good God had been? And, and what if on top of that, at Thanksgiving dinner, after all the guests had left and it's just you and your immediate family, what if you announced to everybody that we're all going to take a full week of time off work, paid or unpaid, however your job works. We're going to take a week off in the summer, this week, and we're not traveling anywhere. We're going to have a staycation and every night we're going to have a barbecue in the backyard and we're going to ce- celebrate all God did. And we're going to look to that week as a time where we're going to remember all God did. Seven days where we're going to sleep in every day. We're going to watch cartoons. And we're going to get donuts every day and burp them up all afternoon. And then we're going to barbecue every single night. We're going to invite the whole neighborhood every single night of that barbecue and just celebrate all God has done. Can you imagine what that kind of rhythm would do and how that would shift us? Listen, I don't pretend that this is a silver bullet. And that if I just do these two things, it will fix everything. But I think, (laughs) I'm convinced, I'm confident that if we begin to build in some of these rhythms, it will require us to thrive at home. It will require us to think about conflict, to reconcile with the neighbor, with the step-parent, with the parent, with the spouse. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done and continue to do in our midst. Thank you, Jesus, that even as you gathered for one of those festival feasts for Passover meal, that as you guys ate that meal in Mark 10, you called together all of your friends and you said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority to everyone under them. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. 
Jesus, you, you were taking Deuteronomy 16 at the Last Supper and turning it on its head and inviting us to live that way. To never see ourselves as better than. To never isolate. To always be vulnerable and present for the least of these. May your demonstration and announcement of your kingdom live on in our lives. And may you be very pleased in what you see in us, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.